I'm Raheem Edwards, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined per usual by my friend callum williams before we really get into it and i assure you i am really ready to get into it about actual mls soccer we wanted to take a moment and uh, give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season uh, who are allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota federated insurance and m health fairview this season has already been a super weird one, as we all know, and it's likely to remain quite unusual. So uh, we really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with the team as we get games underway again. Uh, you can learn more about any of those partners by visiting mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Get some more info there on them. And again, as the season goes, we it's very weird. And so it's very important to have people who are supporting us uh, from a partner standpoint. And... One other extracurricular question I have, Cal, have you watched the show alone by any chance? I have not. Okay. Uh, My experience of this show was, um, it's sort of one of those things that happens occasionally where people, I hear from one person who's like, oh, I'm watching this show. And I'm like, okay. And somebody else is like, I'm watching this show. And I'm like, okay, well now I have to look into it. And then finally I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this show. Uh, It's been around for a while. It's been around since 2015. It's a reality TV show. Uh, I'm not a huge reality TV fan, uh, but the last season, uh, there's a season going on right now, but the season uh, season six is called Alone the Arctic. And so the idea is it's a survival show. They take 10 people and they drop them someplace in the wild. Uh, this has been going on since 2015. And you can bring 10 things in addition to clothes, so 10 tools essentially. And then you just have to survive as long as you can <laughs> in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, you have no contact with any other person other than like every couple of weeks, I think they do med check-ins and things like that. Um, but basically you're on your own, you have to make your own shelter, you have to catch your own food and all this stuff like that. And I got really into this season in the Arctic and it's actually not technically the Arctic. It's, it's like a little below the Arctic circle. It's in super, super Northern Canada on the great slave Lake. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of appealing about it, as opposed to a lot of reality shows, is there's almost no direct competition between people. They're obviously all in competition with each other, but they don't see each other. So you kind of do away with all the little fighting and infighting and who's, it's like basically, you know, like this idea of, you know, I'm here to get the most attention. So I stay on the show. It's like, no, you got to catch like a raccoon and eat it. Like that's, <laughs> that's how you stay on the show. Like you gotta, you gotta kill a, a, a moose with a bow and arrow and then fight off a Wolverine with a knife to like keep your food. <laughs> and I gotta say, I watched the, I watched that sixth season and I was like, I'm into it. So I started the first season uh, last night, but I, I strongly recommend uh, it for anybody. You know, I'm sure people are still stuck in their houses largely, but it's, uh, it's, it's really fun. So I recommend it, Cal. And if there's any other reality shows uh, that you've been a fan of, I would love to hear about them. Well, that, that sounds uh, pure entertainment. It sounds uh, extremely dangerous. It sounds like the fight for survival um, is uh, extremely high. Um, 
And it also sounds like at the end of it, there's there's not really much hope. Essentially, it sounds like playing central midfield for FC Cincinnati. Um, but <laughs> good time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. What's it called again? Alone. It's called Alone. Uh, okay. I started with the sixth season. I don't know. The first season has a very different vibe. I think by the sixth season, uh, they're really getting. You know, a show like this, when you make the first season, you know, who do you get to do it? Like, you just send out a casting call or whatever like that. People compete. By the sixth season, the people are like, they're serious. They know what they're doing. People are bringing bows. They've got snares. Like, they're, they're on it right away. The first season, which I started watching, some of the guys seem like kind of, they're kind of goofs. Like, it doesn't really, like, one guy bows out after the first day because there's some bears near him. And so it's like, you know. By contrast, I don't know how long they all go, but the sixth season goes something like 75, 80 days, right? And so the fact that there's some people um, who bow out, like <laughs> one of the guys is like in the first season, like a sort of a gun nut. He's like, I never without a gun anywhere I go. And then he doesn't have a gun and he bows out after like two days. That was kind of rewarding. I was like, oh yeah, you're really tough if you give you firearms. But <laughs> when it really comes to survival, what can you do? I, it's also funny because I am like judgmental about these people and I would be out after three hours. Like I'd be like, I have no cell phone service here. Um, yeah. But it's, it, it's, so it's called Alone. I would recommend the sixth season for anybody just to start there because I know that one's good for sure. First season seems a little rough. So the vibe's a little different. Um, but yes, highly recommended. Okay. Sounds good. I'll give it a go. All right. Let's uh, get into actual soccer because we finally have actual i mean we i guess there's been actual soccer in the world uh over the last month or so but mls soccer is back uh the mls is back tournament is underway um one of the first things i wanted to bring up sort of continuing on you know obviously stuff that's been out there in the world and our our great conversation that we had with uh jacory hayes and, and mason toy a couple weeks ago i think the all the 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 displays of support for black lives matter at the tournament have just been outstanding the the eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence before that first game really drives home just how long that is and how unbelievable that is like that the you know that that was how long george floyd was um it was basically was being choked out essentially it's really tough um and then the moments before of silence before each game i think have been good reminders the 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 captain's armbands the um you know we have uh, our captain's armband has george floyd on it as a reminder and it's one of those things that you know change is slow i think that 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 we've seen evidence of change starting to happen in places not every change is going to be huge not everything is going to be massive but like keeping that that drumbeat of of this awareness going uh is a huge important part of of this cause and i think that uh mls has been great with that yeah i thought the opening ceremony uh ceremony it's not it's not ceremonious uh thing really is it? It, it it's something that we all need to to be paying attention to and and trying to to do what we we can um but it it was um i i, I thought the the first sort of stance, if you will, and, and the opening just before the the Miami and Orlando game, um, and the showing of solidarity was uh, was something to behold. It was a lump in throat moment, I thought. And uh, you know, again, as as we've said several times, it's just something that that we all have to to do this together. We all have to to be together and and help and do what we can. And um, you know, I, I thought um, it was. Uh, it was a ravishing display of um, of solidity um, amongst the, the black players in Major League Soccer, and uh, and those that were 
in and around the, the field and, and the in inverted commas stadium um, at that time, you know, and, and it was uh, incredible to see a, a day or two after Thierry Henry taking a knee for, for the amount of time as well that George Ford was under the officer's knee. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was, it, it, it is becoming iconic now, you know, and I think naturally, Steve, since all the, the football around the world has come back, I've, I've been glued to the majority of it um, in all four corners of the world. I, I think Major League Soccer's probably done more than most um, in organising, um, you know, uh, situations where players can have a voice and um, can have a statement. Uh, not saying the other leagues haven't, that no doubt, you know, the Bundesliga and the Premier League and, and what have you have done a, a fabulous job as well in, in showing their support for the movement. But I think Major League Soccer has, um, has, has, has really pushed the boat out and, and done what they can, and, and as they should as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, I agree it's becoming iconic. I think one of the risks of things becoming iconic as we stop paying attention to, um, you know, what, where they came from, um, you know, but I think that we just got to keep our eyes on on the ball here and keep, keep doing everything we can. So um, let's talk about soccer Uh, for, before we get into Minnesota United's game, uh, just a little bit about what you saw from, from other teams, what you've seen from the tournament. You know, I was eager to watch that inter Miami and Orlando game just to see what the the feel would be. Um, You know, if they were going to use, piped in crowd noise, like, like uh, some other leagues have done, which they didn't. Um, it did feel a little bit like, you know, sort of a scrimmage at first. Um, but eventually I, I wasn't noticing it so much. You notice it on like the goals and things like that. Um, of course, there weren't that many goals in that game. It was a little bit, it was a little bit rugged for a while. And you could see the rust essentially sort of the nerviness of the teams. Um, but, you know, has anything stood out to you just in general in this sort of first week of competition and how teams have looked? I think the main thing so far, Steve, is I'm quite surprised at the level of fitness from the majority of teams, actually. I, I really thought that there would be um, a, a lot slower pace to the game. I thought there would be uh, a lot more mistakes. I'm, I'm not saying there hasn't been mistakes. They have. But, um, you know, I, I really thought that, that sharpness would be a, a much larger issue than, than what it seems to have been in the opening week or so, uh, which is good because it shows that the fitness coaches and, and the people's jobs that is to keep the players sharp are doing their job very, very well. So um, it, it's tremendous to have Major League Soccer back. It, it's um, no doubt there's been some, some games where, you know, when you're watching it, I, I think um, it, it perhaps makes your eyes bleed. It's not the most attractive soccer in the world. Um, but on the other scale, there's been some tremendously entertaining football. So um, I, I was, I, I very much, um, despite it ending goalless, I enjoyed the San Jose-Seattle game. I thought that was a tremendous game. Um I, I, I we're recording this um, on the uh, on the Tuesday, and I have just finished watching uh, the Sounders against Chicago Fire, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Miami Orlando, as you mentioned earlier on, was was a decent competition as well, um, and I, I think there's been some surprise. I think there's been some really good stuff played. And look, the thing is here, Steve, is that everybody has to adapt to the situation. Um, there's, there's nobody who's comfortable right now. Even Orlando City in their own backyard really aren't comfortable. Um, so it, it's um, I, I've really, really enjoyed it so far. I really have. Um, 
I still think um, Miami are uh, are going to be interesting to watch. Um, I, I still think there's a little more to come from them, no doubt. Um, and uh, you know the the teams that that have done well so far have have really been the teams that I thought would. To be honest, there's not really been any major surprise so far. So um, I, I guess that the only um, the only team you really have to feel sorry for because there's not there's not much improvement from what we saw last year and there's not much they can do about it um, because of the situation surrounding everybody is, is FC Cincinnati. There's, um, it was a woeful showing from them against Columbus Crew as well against their deepest, darkest rivals and um, the crew were having a field day. I thought Jassy Zardes that day was, was so poignant up front and, and offered so much and, and, and really caused the centre-backs for Cincinnati so many issues. I would say Yapstam was tearing his hair up but he physically can't do that. Um, Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for him because he's obviously come off a plane about three weeks ago, come into this situation. I think he's been in Cincinnati for about 48 hours, come down to Orlando, uh, essentially dealing with what he's been given, not had much time to work with it, um, and has had to go with it, really. So I do feel a little bit sorry for him, you could tell. I think it was after the third goal, the camera panned over to him, and he just had his head in his hands sitting on the bench and I just couldn't help but but feel um the the deepest sense of um uh, of uh, I guess just feeling sorry for him really because there was just there's not not much he can do really you know we, we know that there's um transfers going to happen and on the way and stuff in the next couple of weeks whenever the window reopens um but uh, I, I just, I, I just couldn't help but feel sorry for for Yamstam in that situation for sure. But look, overall, Steve, it's been tremendously entertaining, and it's just wonderful to have MLS back. Yeah, I think the, um, I think the position of, of of head coach in soccer is probably one of the toughest in terms of sports when a game starts going badly because there's just so little you can really do. Um, I mean, to an extent, although the result was good, we'll talk about this with, with Minnesota United's game that it's, it's just like, as, as you see the, the, the game slipping away, you know, if you look at the NBA or something like that, you can, uh, coaches will pull all the starters. They'll be like, all right, you guys are not showing what I, I need. We're sending in five new guys, you know, like you can, you can pull your starting pitcher in, in, in major league baseball. When things start going badly, you can, you know, in the NFL, you can make micro changes on each play. Soccer coach, you know, even with five subs as opposed to three subs, your ability to sort of change the direction of the game from the sideline is it's it's not really there. You sort of have to prep your team, make your game plan, send them out there, and then see what happens. And, and I think that feeling that that Yapstam was having at that moment <laughs> with his head in his hands is like, well, this is getting away from me. And what what can he start doing? You can't change. There's very little you can do to change. And so I think that's that's very difficult. Um, it, that's sort of how the Minnesota United game felt in the first half. It just felt like, you know, you, the team started at, on, on even sort of uh, even keel. You know, everybody was a little nervy. Everybody was a little loose. Um, you know, passes weren't crisp or anything like that. And then just slowly, like, it, it, Minnesota United was pinned in their own, in their own uh, final third, basically, by the end of the first half. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about, before we get into how the first half fully went, um, expectations sort of heading into the game, because I know I think before, as we talked about looking at the group, we liked Minnesota United's uh, chances based on uh, the opponents and how they've done against SKC before and RSL, um, where all those teams were. 
but sort of knowing in advance that Icopara wasn't going to be there, that was that was a little tough. And then sort of the day of finding out that that Ozzy Alonso wouldn't be out there, that's tough. And then minutes before kickoff, finding out Luis Amaria wouldn't be out there, you know, I was like, oh, well, that's not great. And then as the game sort of unfolded, really in the early going, really beginning to see how much Luis, that's like one of each element of the spine, right? Like you've lost, you've lost your, your most important center back, your most important defender in, in, in most ways. You've lost sort of the key midfielder uh, defensively, and you've lost like the tip of the spear as far as your attacker. Um, you began to really just see that the, the team's organization was not there in that first half. I think in the first half, yeah, it was obvious that there was a little bit of miscommunication, as there was going to be naturally anyway. Let's not forget these players, whilst they've trained together, they've not played together in this sort of format for a long time. Minnesota United, to my knowledge, were one of very few teams that, that weren't able to play a full 90-11 v 11 um, during this uh, uh, the, the halt of, of the MLS season and the lead-up to this MLS's back tournament. So, um, it, for, for various different reasons, by the way. Um, I think um, no doubt uh, the importance of Ico Para was uh, was missed um, and what he offers. I thought Aha and Boxall did did okay. I thought they did well. It took a little while for them to get used to each other and settle in alongside each other, but uh, I thought eventually they did okay. Um, I think um, the the one area I think because Roma Mitanier and the way that that Adrian has him playing. He's obviously so aggressive pushing forward. I think it left Aha a little exposed from time to time. And I'm not entirely convinced he was too comfortable with that in the opening 20 minutes or so. But eventually, as I said, he did um, get used to, to what Kansas City were throwing at him. Um, from a central midfield point of view, we noticed, um, you know, young Gregus was playing a little deeper. Um, Hassani Dotson would drop in from time to time as well so the two of them worked well together it wasn't Hassani Dotson's best game I think even he will admit that um, but I thought overall it, it, it was it, it got better as the minutes got larger um, and it, it just took a little bit of time to shake off the rust which has been the case for most teams in this tournament um, you know the one thing obviously we don't really know the extent of, of what's happened with Mason Toy but um, I understand why Mason Toy played. I, I, I get why Adrian started with him, uh, and, and it was simply to stretch the opposing back line and, and create gaps for Kevin Molino. But also, Kansas City have known to be a little aggressive um, from the back as well. And, and whilst we always expected Punchech and Beasler to be deep, the fullbacks, um, Zussi and, and uh, Martins, as we saw several times, are very aggressive out wide. So, there are gaps there to be exposed. And, and I know Ilya Sanchez drops in between the two centre-backs, but again, I don't think it was his best game either. So I understand why Mason Toy played from, from that aspect, uh, trying to stretch the back line, but also getting in behind as well. He's got pace to burn, so I understand that. Um, but as we as we saw when Aaron Schoenfeld came on, it gave Minnesota United a completely new dimension. Yeah, absolutely. I think that going back to Aha and, and, and Hassani um, and, and Mason, sort of those, this, the subs who came in, I think that um, like Aha and, 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 and Hassani were both, they were both fine, uh, but you sort of saw some, some poor decisions to go with sort of the fine and good ones, which is just, you just don't really see that from Ozzy or Ike, you know, 90% of the time. Like they don't, they don't muff passes. Like, I mean, and that's not to say that they wouldn't necessarily given the amount of, of rust that's going on, but like, you just don't see unforced errors from those guys a lot. Like that just shuts down a lot of that stuff. 
And I think that missing those two guys also hurt the decision to put Mason in, in some ways, because again, without that, you know, if you think about the way that Opara would look upfield to find guys or the way that Opara would get the ball to Ozzy to sort of control in that, that sort of, I mean, sort of the Elia Sanchez role, like you get the ball back and then you sort of like direct where the play is going to go from there without having that, like Mason is sort of on an Island up there because his thing is to get into those, those spots and run forward. Whereas what you saw with Aaron Schoenfeld is more, he has more of that holdup game in him where he can drop back and sort of, you know, with his size, sort of keep people off the ball for a while that ended up working a lot better. I mean, again, I sort of felt like it wasn't really Mason's Mason didn't distinguish himself, but he also wasn't able to see a lot of the ball just because of how far uh, Minnesota was pinned in sort of in their own half uh, through a bunch of the game. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if you had, like if you lost Amaria and then you put in Mason, but you have Ike and Ozzy there, I think that may have made Mason's job a little bit easier, but as it was, it ended up being that Schoenfeld was, was the right call at that point later on in the half. And I mean, in the, in the, in the second half, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the first goal because it was very distressing, but it was just weird. You know, like I think that, that Tyler Miller's gaff there on that move, first of all, okay, before we get to that brief Alan Polito appreciation, he looked great the whole game and he was so much fun to watch. And I think he's going to be a great player for them. That turn on boxy. I mean, I love boxy, but man, that was a great, was a great move and then you know but but what did what was your thinking of what was that just Miller was that just rust was it just like just a little bit slow a little bit he just misperceived what was going to happen what do you think happened there with Tyler in that moment it's a lack of sharpness and it's it's Miller being caught cheating there's no better way to describe it Steve I mean you know, if you go back and look at the goal, he starts to lean to the right a little too early because what he thinks is going to happen is that Tyree Shelton is going to play the ball across goal. And I, I believe it was Jose Fernandez who was awaiting the service. But the angle perhaps for Tyree Shelton wasn't as, as tight as, as Miller perceived. And Miller leans to the right-hand side. As I said, he opts to go early, which, you know, most goalkeepers will do nowadays. But I think he just got the angles all wrong. And when he leans to the right-hand side, he quickly realises there's a ton of space to the left of him. And Kyrie Shelton is, is able to pass the ball into essentially an empty net. You know, I've never seen a goal quite like it. Um, and I'm sure Tyler Miller just wanted the ground to swallow him up in that moment, you know. But uh, I thought Miller recovered quite well. He made some good saves because, believe me, Steve, I've seen goalkeepers in the past around the world who just crumble when they make a mistake like that. And they can't recover quickly. Um, mentally, psychologically, it, it kills a lot of individuals. And I thought we should commend Tyler Miller, actually, for, for being able to, to play throughout the majority of the game as well as he did. You know, he, he made saves that were, they were, they were saves that you would expect him to make. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty, as I say, who, who wouldn't make those saves then because they're just psychologically gone completely. So um, I, I thought well done to Tyler in, in, in that sense of things. But Look, I mean, he, he knows. He knows it was a bad mistake. I'm sure Stuart Kerr, the goalkeeping coach for the Loons, will, will hammer him and go over tape and, and all of the above, you know. But Tyler Miller knows it was not his finest moments. And I'm sure he will be a mightily relieved boy that essentially the mistake didn't cost Minnesota United anything. Yeah, we've all seen uh, games in which, you know, sort of mistakes like that can just sort of snowball for keepers where then they can't, they, they try to make up for it. And that's one of the tough things with it, with it, with it, I think being a keeper is that, 
you can't really, you know, there's a lot of positions in soccer where, you know, if you just do a lot of work, good things will happen for you, right? Like if, if you're not out there and you're not trying hard and you just like commit to like, I'm just going to run a lot more, like you, you, that can, you can do something with that. Keeper is not really one of those positions. Like it relies on reactivity. I mean, obviously they have responsibility in terms of directing play and being distributors and, and decision-making when they have the ball and things like that. But it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes you see keepers blow a save like that and then they'll just try to go all out to make other saves and put some, it puts them out of position again. So yeah, again, I think that there's, there's uh, props and respect to be given to Tyler for sort of like calming down and, and, and staying within himself and then not giving up other goals. I mean, there was at the end of the first half, like honestly, Minnesota was lucky not to be down like three goals or possibly more like Kinda and, and Jersa both looked really dangerous and had opportunities. So um, yeah, SKC, as good as they looked, they had opportunities that they could have finished to put this game out of reach a lot earlier, I think. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I thought Gandhi Kinder was a joy to watch. And, and oh, yeah, he's great. Thunderous find. He really has. And uh, myself and Kinder were fortunate enough to be able to uh, use connections and, and chat with several people from Kansas City during the week. And um, we, we spoke to the assistant manager, Kerry Zavagnan, um, and, and he was saying that, he, he has been a revelation, Gary Kinder has. They, they expected him to to potentially push those in the centre of midfield for a first-team place. They didn't think he would be as, as revolutionary as he has been. So, um, wonderful find. I think the Kansas City scouting department need a gold medal for that one. So, um, I, I thought he was great. As you mentioned, Polito looked good. Polito got a bit frustrated from time to time because I saw him dropping deep a lot. He wanted the ball a bit more than he got it, um, which Minnesota United were absolutely fine with, keeping him away from, from goal. Uh, it's never a bad thing, but there were some delightful little one, little touches and flicks and, and whatnot, weren't they? That, yeah, one along the, that one along the touchline where he just sort of went around like maybe like three defenders and then sort of yeah. like just one of those ball attached to his feet moments that's super fun to see. And he is, I think the, 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 the broadcast crew pointed out that he's not, you know, you think of a number nine, he wears the number nine, you think of him as sort of this target, uh, that's sort of a position for a target forward, but he does a lot on the ground with the ball. He does, and 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 he's um, he does as I mentioned. You know, he, he likes to drop a little deeper, which will I'm, I'm sure for most coaches, if if you're his his manager, it will infuriate you because you want him as close to goal as possible. But um, he's actually just you know much more than just the number nine. He he, he actually likes to create a, a little bit as well. So um, I, I could see him. You know what? At some stage, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, if say for example, Kansas City are, are trailing somewhere, it wouldn't surprise me if they put a second forward up alongside him and, and he was to, to play almost a, a false nine and drop a little deeper. That wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. But, um, you know, I thought Gerso Fernandez was, was a handful, as you mentioned. Um, I thought the fullbacks were lively, Martins and Zussi. Um, I, I can't believe Zussi's 33 years of age and gets up and down like he does. You know, <laughs> it's tremendous um, to be able to do that at his age. Um, and I thought, um, you know, both Beesler and, and, and Pinchetch were were adequate as well. I thought they were good enough to um, stave off any real threat for Minnesota. So Kansas City were good. Look, we've known this for, for ages. No, last year was such a bizarre year for them. But prior to that, for years, Kansas City have, have in some way been the model MLS franchise in terms of building a roster and how you do it and, and, and have success without spending a vast amount of money. So um, I, I still think they, they're going to go through in the group. I still think they'll, you know, when they play Colorado, I think they'll 
they'll be very good against them. I, I, um, I think Colorado obviously have got off to a bad start in, in the tournament, but um, I thought Kansas City uh, were very unfortunate. It, it's not about it. And, yeah. you know, I don't know uh, where, where we are in terms of the running order here, Steve, but the, you know, the, the main thing that, that changed it all was obviously when Aaron Schoenfeld came onto the field because... That's where we're going uh, next. So, you, you, again, we're just connected. Yeah. It's, uh, it changed everything because it, it gave Minnesota a different way to play. And it was clear straight away that Kevin Molino prefers to play off of a centre forward as opposed to um, trying to, to run underneath someone like a Mason Toy, you know. So um, I thought Molino straight away was, was much better because of Aaron Schoenfeld. And look, Schoenfeld is just, I say this with all due respect, he's just more experienced. He's just much more, he has a, a higher footballing IQ than Mason Toy because he has experience. Yeah. Um, he will pull players out of position he will um, set up and, and look to, to play into other players. Um, he, he will, for a wide, for a, a forward, sorry, he, he su- does surprise me how often he finds himself out wide. But it's because he's, he's pulling centre-backs out of position and, and hoping Molina will make the required run and, and uh, Robin Lerd and Ethan Fenlay and whatnot, you know. So I thought Schoenfeld was, was really, really good and, and, and was exceptionally intelligent when he came on. Um, and obviously... Uh, he changed things from from that regard, but then he really made things uh, difficult for Kansas City when he got Timilia sent off as well. Um, which, uh, for me, I still scratch my head out. I don't think it's a red card. Um, and and, and I, I say this because, you know, the, the rule has been tinkered with over the course of the last year. But to my understanding, if you are denying a goal-scoring, if you're denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity... It's, it's a red card. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that's what Melia was doing because he had at least two defenders covering behind him or at least in line with him when he took down Aaron Schoenfeld. Um, the severity of the challenge perhaps would have... would have. Um, I, I, think, I think it would have been fair to distribute a yellow card, but I don't think the red card has been given because of the aggressive nature of the challenge. I think it's been given because the referee has insinuated it's it's a denying of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. And, and I just don't think that was the case. So either way, uh, I think Minnesota have had a, a spot of fortune there. But either way, I'm th- I think from a Minnesota point of view, nobody really cares, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I, al- I mean, I also found myself feeling like that the, the, the speed and decisiveness with which the red card was pulled and then was not even considered... You know, like what I don't believe they they didn't go to tape or anything. It was just no. that's it. Um, I thought it was a, a marginal case. I mean, I think as they were looking at it on the replay, and you saw some, you know, Kansas City defenders coming in. Um, I think the fact that it happened just outside the box probably influenced some of that. That it was like if 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 he had been deeper. Um, I mean, maybe maybe I don't know. I don't think it's really a penalty, but I think it's sort of like the goalkeeper's domain being within that box like there's a lot more comfortability with him doing what he has to do within there as opposed to being a couple steps outside and then going at somebody's legs you know so um I don't know it certainly was one of the huge things that made a big difference I mean I think you saw also overall just the that sort of evolution towards set pieces like and and also it's encouraging to see how comfortable Minnesota looks on set pieces even without a guy, a guy like Agopara who's obviously huge physically and uh you know, sort of existentially in, in terms of their set piece plans. But, you know, I think that obviously Schoenfeld coming in for Toy, which was 
you know, just sort of happenstance given that Toy got that injured. I don't think Schoenfeld was necessarily going to be coming in at that moment if that had not happened. But it, it sort of led to then, you know, there was that set piece that led to uh, uh, Ethan Finley getting that goal that was called back. I think that was huge just in terms of sort of a mental shift towards, you know, being able to get the ball up to Schoenfeld to hold up to then take shots that get get knocked out for corner kicks or just for action happening in that half of the field, which can lead to free kicks. Um, I think that sort of that, that can, that, I mean, obviously you want to get into the final third, but really Minnesota United felt like at that point, Hey, if we get in there and we can get a call, like we can get a dead ball situation and we can take advantage of that, especially with that, with that man advantage. Um, you know, so like, I think that that was, that was huge. And that sort of that evolution towards those set pieces and also just overall that Minnesota United wants set pieces is sort of an amazing new thing for them. I think since if for anybody who watched the team in the first couple of years. Yeah. And, and the head coach of Kansas City, Peter Vermees, uh, said it was one thing he was worried about was the set piece uh, opportunities that Minnesota United can create and the damage they can do from them more than anything. Can, um, you know, it was obviously proven it, it, that the ball in from, from Gregish caused chaos, didn't it? And, and it forced Chelsea to put the ball into the back of his own net. And um, it, it is a handy tool to have, no doubt. And, and, and I, I know, having spoken to other coaches and, and scouts and whatnot across uh, North America, it's the one thing that people don't want to do with Minnesota, and that's give away cheap free kicks in and around uh, what you would consider the final third. Because, um, especially with someone like Ico Power, I know he's not at the tournament right now, but... Um, when you have the aerial threat that Minnesota seemed to have in, in the early stages of this season, uh, giving away cheap and silly free kicks is not ideal for the opposing team. Yeah, I think also that, um, you know, it's Kansas City, I sort of felt like usually when sometimes when you see a team go a man down, um, but holding a lead, I'm like, man, that's it because you just bunker, right? You know, like we've seen it. I think Minnesota United played maybe Atlanta United at one point where Atlanta was up and went a man down. I'm trying to remember all the circumstances. There's, there's one time where they went a man down and then, and then Minnesota United came back and won, right? That was the first season. Again, that was a Kevin Molino, you know, a man up situation, uh, spectacular ending there. But, um, you know, sometimes you just see a team that's, that holds a one goal lead or a two goal lead. If they go a man down, it's like, it's even harder than in some ways because they're going to stop trying. But Kansas City almost seemed to, I feel like they almost played a little too aggressively for the rest of the game after that because you saw them still trying to sort of pushing forward, especially in that heat. I just sort of expected them to drop and have, you know, everybody behind the ball, but they didn't do that. Um, sort of one of those rare tactical misjudgments I think for a team uh like SKC that seems so well drilled for that kind of stuff I mean maybe it's you know again that I think some of that could be rust it's just like we want to get out there we want to play um you know maybe sitting back is not what they they just everybody was a little too hyped up about it um but let's talk about the the goals I mean we so you mentioned uh Jan's uh set piece which sort of went over Schoenfeld and then Kyrie Shelton knocked in. Shelton getting a goal at each end, you know, a brace, a brace for Shelton. Um, and then, uh, again, Roman Metanier, I got to shout him out for like that, for a lot of effort on that final goal. Also, congrats to him, new contract, which is great. Uh, great news for, for the club, I think, locking up that right back position. Um, but man, Metanier getting that ball back and then pushing it over to the wing, hitting it across to Edwards and then to Kevin Molino. And Kevin Molino, Again, like it's it's easy to forget, but he had a great first two games uh, of the season, and it seems like he, you know, he picked up right where he left off as far as being that guy uh, for the team in that number ten spot. 
um, which is obviously was a big concern coming into the season. And I don't know if that's the role he's always going to have uh, going forward, but it shows, you know, he's, he's really comfortable out there when he gets going. It's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch. And man, he had some great, he had some great moves as well. Like keeping the ball away from people. He's just not going to get, when he's on it, he's not going to get dispossessed and he's got the, he's got the ball. So it's, it's fun to watch uh, Hopway out there doing, doing the work. One of the benefits that Minnesota United have had with the season coming to a halt as it did is that you remember in the San Jose game, Molino came off with an injury, which we later found out was a hamstring issue, which would have kept him out for four or five weeks. So during that time where people have spent the, the time period at home, he's been able to rest and recover. So it's actually worked out quite well from Minnesota's point of view there. Um, and it's a happy hunting ground as well for Kevin Molino, because if you remember, Steve, in 2014, Orlando City in USL were actually playing their home games at that stadium. Mm. And that's the stadium where Molino broke the USL goal-scoring records by scoring 20-plus goals that year. Um, so it's a, a place that he's supremely comfortable in, no doubt. Um, and uh, I, I thought, again, like I said, um, when Schoenfeld came on, I, I think Molino livened up big time because I think he, he realised he was probably going to get a bit more of the ball. And more than anything, he was going to get more time to yeah. get into positions that he wanted to because the big lad, Schoenfeld, is able to, to post up. Um, and, it, and it allows everybody to manoeuvre forward. So, um, uh, look, as, as I said, I, I thought um, Molino was, was really, really good in the final 20 minutes or so. I don't think anybody will, will say that for the opening hour, 65 minutes, that it was their best performance at all. I think Minnesota, as you yeah. quite rightly so mentioned, it, that Minnesota were, were fortunate not to be two or three down um, uh, after 60 minutes or so. So, Schoenfeld was wonderful. Molino made an impact. And, and he took his goal so well, as well, as you mentioned, when Metinier played the ball in. I must admit, I thought it was going out of play on the far side. And, and Raheem Edwards did a, a fabulous job to play it back in um, and, and find Molino. And it's not an easy finish as well, because it's at an awkward height for him. So, yeah. um, I will say it's not... Um, not a masterclass in, in defending from Kansas City. Uh, leaving someone like Molino uh, essentially unmarked in the box is never a good thing. Um, it is for Minnesota, but not for anybody else. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Molino obviously uh, duly obliged. So I, I, I thought Molino was, was good in the last uh, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I will say, I, I, think, I think moving forward, Minnesota need more from him, though. Yeah. Um, and I'm finding it hard to, to criticise and, and judge at the moment, Steve, because we are in a situation where people are still lacking sharpness, no doubt. And um, I thought that was evident in, in the opening 45. Kansas City were just so much fitter than Minnesota. Not saying they were sharper, but they were certainly fitter than the yeah. Blues. Um, so I think it's just going to take a few games just to get everybody back to 100%. I, I'm not even convinced you'll see anybody 100% in this tournament, to be honest, Steve, because it's been such a long layoff. But if you have an 85% Kevin Molino who fancies it on his day, Minnesota have got a very good number 10 match, sure. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to highlight that. I mean, it's so much fun to talk soccer and talk sports and, and sort of think about what all of this means. I do want to make sure that I, I, I personally pump the brakes on drawing too many conclusions about one game after the first game right. of no one playing for four months. I mean, I think I saw, you know, I was watching on, on, on Twitter and people are like, well, Schoenfeld just clearly better in this system than toy and i'm like okay like on this night in this heat in this moment when toy came on at the last second for amaria 
and other guys are, yeah, there's just so many factors going into the, to any one game here. I know people have missed it. And so I feel like the jumping to conclusions is extra fast right now. And I'm just like, let's just take it game by game. You know, like it, the next game against, you know, RSL can look completely different. Um, you know, who knows, uh, you know, there's, there's been rumors about Ike Opara possibly rejoining the team if they proceed beyond the group stage, you know, like who knows, like who knows what's going on out there. So um, that said, let's talk a little bit about RSL. Um, uh, one thing to note, uh, Minnesota United beat SKC and RSL beat Colorado. So Minnesota is now the only undefeated team in MLS, uh, atop the Western conference standings right now. Um, it's a little confusing because there's both group standings and, and regular season standings still being updated. Um, but that's kind of exciting because I felt like heading into the, this, this long layoff, we were all a little mad that SKC was on top. Uh, by goal differential um, and sat there for four months with, with yeah. Minnesota United second. So uh, order has been, has been restored. Did you watch, um, did you get to watch the RSL game? Uh, you know, did you see, uh, have you gotten to, a chance to look at them and sort of figure out like what you think about them going into uh, uh, Friday's game? I watched a, a bit, Steve. I, I must admit not been able to watch it all because uh, we had just gotten off the air and we were, going through various different production needs and wants for, for this week and what have you, um, just when, when we had finished our broadcast and I was driving home then, uh, and when, by the time I got back, it was uh, into the, the 50th minute or so. I think I, I, I'd missed that. Uh, you know, as I said, whilst we were talking, it was on the background, but, it, you know, so I, I, sure. I've watched the highlights. I've seen as much as I can. I'm, I'm going to watch the, the tape again this week in preparation for the game, but um, I, I'll be honest, I was surprised. I was surprised by the results. I was surprised um, by the scoreline. Uh, from what I have seen, uh, look, no doubt we all know uh, Rushnak is, is a fabulous player uh, and, and he's the, the player that will really make RSL tick. Um, I, I thought uh, Krylak was, was a nuisance from what I saw, you know, as he has been for a while. Um, Beckerman and, and Everton Louise are about as disciplined as central midfield that you'll find in Major League Soccer. Um, and and from, from what I saw, and I thought they did ever so well to maintain Yunus Namli, who's the, the new DP, Danish designated mm-hmm. player for Colorado, um, who didn't seem to have much joy at all, really. And, and the wide players were, were kept fairly reserved as well, Benazé and Shinya Shiki. Um, because if, if from what I saw, it, it's, it looked as though Kai Kamara didn't have much service at all. And, and, and that's a credit to to the central midfield duo of Beckerman and Louise. So, um, as I said, I was surprised. I, I really um, came into this tournament after viewing Real Salt Lake as, as a team that I, I thought um, if they were to get out of the group, a lot of eyebrows would have been raised. Um, and still, I, I'm of the opinion that that will be the case if, if they get out of the group. Um, but they're, they're a decent team. I, I like them a lot, and, and I, I, I would be surprised if there's any sort of changes at all for them uh, coming into the game against Minnesota. Um, when you go down the, the roster and you see some of the players they have, I, I thought it was, it was telling of, of um, how deep they are. That, that it, I was, you, know, you forget about, you know, because the, the off-season was essentially five, six months ago, you forget about some of the players that they've brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the roster's actually deeper than I, than I realised, you know, and, and bringing on the likes of Justin Miram and, and Johnson, the, the Liberian centre-forward, um, has, has um, 
you know, to, to cause issues. It, it, it does show how deep they are and, and bringing on Beasler as well, Nick Beasler, um, the brother of, of Matt, for those unaware, um, is uh, is a decent player as well. And, and of course, look, we, we can't go much further without mentioning Giuseppe Rossi as well, who, who I think has got a point to prove. Um, obviously, has, has been marred with injuries over the course of the last few years. And I, I think a lot of people thought he would come to Major League Soccer at some stage. Um, but after issues... Um, on the injury front with the likes of Genoa and, and Fiorentina, um, I, I think a lot of people thought he, he perhaps had one more spell in Europe somewhere, but he's come to, to Major League Soccer with a point to prove, I think. So um, RSL much deeper than than I had originally anticipated and, and remembered, but um, I, I must admit, I, I still don't think they are the compact unit that they have been in previous years. Yeah, I think that, I mean, they've always been a, we talked about this before, that the group group D is sort of the the group of the team is the star. And I think that's that's true um, still across the board. Um, and, you know, on the broadcast that we're talking about it as sort of the group of death uh, after we had sort of thought LAFC, LA Galaxy was maybe like that. But this is really showing it, you know, it, 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 a lot of people liked SKC going forward, looking at Alan Polito, like expecting them to, uh, to maybe come out on top of that group. And a lot of people like Colorado as a sort of, uh, dark horse team who could be favored in terms of a format, a tournament format, which would favor sort of their simplicity and directness and their their ability on set pieces and things like that. And then both those teams lost in, you know, the first round of games. And I could see after the next round, both those teams winning, you know, so <laughs> it, it sort of does sort of have that definition of a group of death where every team is, is it could, could be the favorite in any given matchup. Um, but I do agree with you. I think that RSL is, is maybe still the least likely to go through ultimately in the end. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, RSL is obviously, as you said, very different, you know, they're not no, no more Nick Raimondo. Um, and it's, it's going to be a very different team, but they're tough and they hang in there and they've got smart players like Rushnak, uh, as you, as you mentioned. And, and like you said, with Krylock, it's just, you know, he's, he's a pest. He's all over the place. He can do a lot of different jobs for that team. So, um, it's going to be fun. That game is going to be, I forgot, I even forgot to write in when the next game is going to be, cause it's been so long since we, since we did that, but it's going to, it's going to be on Friday, right? At 9 30 PM, I believe. Yep. yep that's correct. <laughs> that's going to be a late one. I'm not looking forward to the lateness of that. Uh, this is one thing that, I mean, it's not, it's not the worst fate in the world, but for anybody who's out there watching a the game, it gets over at 1130 and you're like, I'm ready to hit the hay. And I'm like, I'm ready to write a recap for the next you know, hour to an hour and a half, depending on when quotes come in. So, um, so it's always a little challenging to get those late games, but uh, it's, it's, it's fun to have soccer back, isn't it? It's just great. It's so nice to have it back. And, and I've been glued to the television since, since MLS has come back. And, and as I said earlier on, you know, various European leagues have come back. It's been great to have it back. But it's, it's just a bit different when MLS comes back because we're so close to it. It's our league and we work in it. So it's been so nice to see. Um, I, I know a lot of people are uh, unsure, but I, I'm a big fan of these morning games. It's quite nice to wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee and, and watch uh, you know, an 8 a.m. Central Time game. It's been really nice to, to be able to do that. Um, uh, it, it's almost like a little morning treat, actually. It's quite nice. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the later games are what they are. It's not a problem at all. So um, it, it's just been great, Steve. It really has. And, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the rest of the tournament shapes out. 
Yeah, well, I spend about two hours in the car every morning and every afternoon dropping my kids off at daycare and camp this week. So uh, so I don't get to watch any games. I leave the house at 8.15 and I get back at 10.15 a.m. So uh, this is this is the life we live right now. So uh, I'll have to catch up on those, <laughs> those morning games later. But everybody, thanks for joining us for the 104th Sound of the Loons podcast. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes with the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Ventress. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. Mm-hmm.